Kansas City Chiefs closed the season with a thrilling Super Bowl win over the Philadelphia Eagles, but the fun's not over. As we enter a potentially wild NFL offseason, The Athletic's Nate Tice joins us to break down the big game and its effect on legacies, as well as the decisions facing the Seattle Seahawks. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my dapper producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Uh, feeling great, Jackson. Feeling a little less trusting of you because you're lying to the masses here. I'm in a nice uh, t-shirt and sweats. Yeah, the, but you wear it well. The post-Super Bowl show. I'm feeling great, man. The big game delivered. It was fucking awesome. You know, that was honestly one of my favorite Super Bowls. Like, I... It was so good. It was so good. I truly felt like we were watching the two best teams from this past season, and they both gave each other hell for all 60 minutes. I was just wildly entertained by the whole thing, and frankly, I didn't want it to end. I I tweeted, I hope this game never ends, in like the early second quarter, and the assumption is that there's going to be a lull at some point. There just never was. It was was one of those high-scoring games that didn't feel like it was at the expense of quality defense you know right like it was just playmakers making plays at every level on both sides of the ball for both teams the quarterbacks elevated Jalen Hurts had like the best game of his life he made every throw he needed to and you know it just feels great that we get to witness one of the true greats um of our time and Patrick Mahomes especially in the same era as someone like Travis Homer it's just a real privilege I know I know he's I feel now, now that he's won his second Super Bowl, I feel like Mahomes' shoulders are broad enough to carry the mantle of being on par with Travis Homer. Yes. But it honestly, it took it took this well, win for how's me. Pat, how's Pat in pass protection? I know he he's good at avoiding it, yeah. but I want to see him take on a I, I want to see him take on a blitzing uh, linebacker. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, it's it's definitely going to be one of those conversations that echoes uh, kind of through the history of the NFL. Which one of those guys is better? That's actually coming up on first take tomorrow. I've heard so. <laughs> well, listen, man. Even though that game is over and with it, believe it or not, the NFL season, the good times continue in the Cigar Lounge because we're joined by a good friend and brilliant writer, analyst, and podcaster. He is Nate Tice of the Athletic. Nate, welcome back. I'm doing very well, uh, but th- this. I'm doing very well. It was like my standard response. So you didn't even ask me how I'm doing. And I just actually did. It's like when someone says, uh, like, enjoy your meal. Yeah, you too. Um, but uh, I think it's the first time ever that someone introduced me as a writer first. So thank you very much for that. I, yeah. uh, I'm i not the best texter. I, I have a lot of grammatical errors as a texter and a messenger. So like I thankfully, I have an editor that cleans up a little bit of my writing. I was more of a math-minded individual i do read a lot but my sister was the english major and i just kind of i'm like oh that word sounds good did i use it right cool like that that's kind of <laughs> what like, post I, is for baby that's what post oh, is for i used occam's razor on our, our pod today and i was so proud of myself that's how i described <laughs> steve Ste- steve steigen i said he's the occam's razor of play callers because he always just finds the simplest answer and i was actually that's pretty great. proud of that one you should be that's um, actually really good I'd be you guys nailed one. what that super bowl was though it was high scoring but it wasn't sloppy right i mean and like the first downs for both sides just if every first down felt well earned or like you guys said like a star kind of being a star 
which is kind of what you want. You want good players make a big pl- big players make a big plays, and then you want good scheme. And that's what that, that really that what that game was. Um, by the way, because I know I'm on a Seattle centric podcast, and I just saw this just like five minutes ago. And I'm totally taking a left turn here because this is how my brain works. Did you guys see the Seattle Sounders Bruce Lee kits? I'm about to. Did oh. you guys see these? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I might have to make my first MLS kit purchase. This is uh it, it was on uh, enter the dragon. The Sounders are entering wow. the dragon. It, it was a very wow. yeah, uh, surprised me out of nowhere. Sorry, I saw that about 5 minutes before the show and I was like, "Hey, friendly uh, company you, here. You, this yeah. is relevant." Go dogs. Absolutely. Wow, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So that was that was interesting. But yes, thank you for having me again. I'm very excited. This is uh this is great. Uh We've come a long way from ranking Pete Carroll amongst other NFL coaches when yes. I first came out yes, to the show. Have. It's been a great and, year and, for uh, Pete Carroll, too. It will. Year of the Pete. It yeah. was a very, very nice year for Pete Carroll. And uh, I think he he won a lot of bets if he made them, but he, he won the wager on himself and on, on, on life as his as a football coach and decision maker, I think. Yeah. I mean, honestly, since since you brought it up, like that was the biggest fulcrum this past offseason is the biggest fulcrum decision of his coaching career which was decoupling from russell wilson right which most of us myself included were quarterback over coach and uh jody allen and john schneider leaned into coach over quarterback and i mean through one season (laughs) i it's hard to imagine it having broken more in favor of seattle than than the way that it did uh we're going to talk about the seahawks a little bit later on and i do want to dive into the details of the actual super bowl too but nate you were there and this this is your second time being at the super bowl the first time actually being in the stadium for the game correct yes it is Uh, i had vowed that i would never go to the game unless it was me or my dad in the game and, mm. or, you know, as far as the team. And I made the joke th- throughout the week was if people watching our live show was that the, the athletic logo was behind me and my dad, if anyone's been anywhere aware of this has been retired for about four years now. So it was okay to break that promises. Promises were meant to be broken and I'm on the athletic team. So I you guess are. my team did make the Super Bowl. So yes. I guess it's a good I'd yeah, even I, say you won the Super Bowl. Yeah, I can. I, I did win that Super Bowl. It was no, it was I won as a fan, as a neutral fan. It's great. And maybe with some prop bets and betting on the Chiefs as okay, Super good. Bowl winners I'm, and I'm, Mahomes I'm glad as you MVP mentioned that. and other 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 wagerings that I did throughout the week and throughout the year. So I, I was a big winner of the week. So it was nice. Good. I was gonna ask you about that a little bit later on. We yeah. had uh Ben Solak on last week and he oh, described boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he described the environment leading up to the game, but I want to get your take on what it was like watching the biggest spectacle in sports with your own two eyes. Oh man. It, it's what I thought was really cool because the Eagles and chiefs have, I'll say passionate fan bases mm-hmm. is that there were a lot more fans at fan energy at the game than I, maybe I was expecting. I thought maybe have that. Like I always think that the college football uh, national championship can feel very corporate. And sometimes there's some Super Bowls have felt that where it's kind of like that. You hear some noise, but it feels like oh, there's 10,000 fans of each side and then 40,000 suits that yeah. don't care who wins. They're just there to see the halftime show and get a free gift, you know, for some business dealings that they've done. Um, this felt like really much like a neutral site. It almost felt like a Big Ten championship game atmosphere or SEC championship game atmosphere where it's truly all those fans. And But throughout the week and even to that game, uh, like you guys said at the beginning, it really did feel like the two best teams. And it felt like haymakers were getting thrown left and right. And every touchdown was another, you know, just – acceleration 
of kind of like, you know, it felt like a new climax was being hit. Uh, I hate to, I want to use a different term, but that's a term I'm going to use right now. Uh, but it, it, I said to uh, Robert Mays, my co-host was after the to Kadarius Tony touchdown, I just looked at him. This was totally legit. Not even trying to be funny, but I watch a lot of football alone on Sundays in, in my office. And I said to him, I just looked at him. I go, this is fucking awesome. Football is awesome. And I just like, I was being legit and he tweeted it, but I was being legit when I looked at him, when I said it, because I was like, there's so much just cool shit that happens in the game, much less awesome coaches on both sides of the ball. There's no like glare. Yes. Spags and the chiefs defense can be uh, they're more middle of the pack. I did think they were underrated going into the game, but it, you know, they're well coached and then you have stars. So it was just, it just felt everything about it felt right. As yeah. far as seeing a Super Bowl, and on top of it, I get to see who I think is the best player of all time, and Patrick Mahomes playing incredibly. And so it's just ah, so many moments are going to stand out to me, including like his scramble. So I think just like any big game, it, it, they stand out to you. I, I know games that you go to for the, the team that you're cheering for, and they win. Like I remember the double with the Seattle Mariners. I was six years old. And I still remember it. Like I, I was upper deck kingdom. I was there behind the home plate. Remember to. Channing Edgar. I had no idea why we did it, but I did it. Um, and but I remember those. You remember those big plays, and now it's like it's just a Super Bowl, which is just it just adds to it. it it's super like that. The word actually is apt for what it feels like. Yeah, you know what? What I want from any given Super Bowl is to be able to take someone who has never watched the NFL and say, "Watch this game," and have and have it deliver, and say, "Like this is the peak of what this sport has to offer." And this game, and and you know. The NFL has treated us to a lot of really exciting, really competitive Super Bowls over the last 15 years. I mean, there's really only been a couple of outliers where it was like, this is not that exciting of a football game. This just play for play, I would put up there with, I, I would say, and this is, you know, cover your ears, 90% of you who are listening, but I think play for play, one of the best football games I've ever watched was Super Bowl 49 uh, when the Patriots beat the Seahawks. Yeah. And just... And, and for those listening, As a neutral, just like, I you know, I, I know that that game is like the Voldemort of, of Seattle sports, but do yourself a favor, go back and rewatch that game or just rewatch like the 30 minute condensed YouTube version of that game. It is a very cathartic experience. It, it will help you let go a little bit, but also just so much of what made that game exceptional gets lost because of what happened in that final play. Yeah. Uh, but that football game was, was incredible. And this was another one like that. And, you know, un unfortunately a lot of the dialogue around the game is, is going to center around the penalty on uh, James Bradbury on that final, on, on the final drive. And look, that, it was consequential for sure. I think it was the right call. Also would have been totally fine if they just swallowed the whistle on it. But the refs got to keep doing their job all the way through the end of the game. That's that's what. And I he mean. admitted to it. So and, it's like, and and he did. And done. Move on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's and, like the Sopranos. It's over. Yeah. Move on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, but but that game was so good, and I think most of the discourse that I've read and listened to um, surrounding this game really is surrounding the actual play on the field, and and it was just so good. And let's start with the quarterbacks. I mean, you've got. Hertz and Mahomes who are standard bearers for sort of the new age quarterback and Mahomes obviously kind of cements his legacy with this win. He's got lots more to go, but the difference when you, when you start stacking up the all-time great quarterbacks, the difference between winning one Super Bowl and winning two is significant um, for him to have two along with two MVPs through five years. 
you could argue is the greatest start to any career any quarterback has ever had. But on the other side, you have Jalen Hurts, and his journey is so fascinating to me. I mean, here's a guy, obviously, highly recruited Uber athlete, who wins the starting job at Alabama, is famously benched at halftime for Tua. Tua leads the comeback win as a freshman, I believe. Um, and so much came out about how supportive Hertz was uh, through that whole situation, how he handled, uh, the transition. He ultimately transfers, has an amazing shortened career at, um, Oklahoma, but still came out of the draft with a lot of question marks. And I was always really high on Jalen Hertz just because I think like, I don't care really if my wide receiver is an asshole or a diva or my cornerback or anything like that. But I, I do want my quarterback to have that CEO quality to him. And Jalen hurts has that in spades. Like he is just an ace, but the question remain, okay, great athlete. Can he be an NFL quarterback? And he buried Carson Wentz two years removed from a legitimate MVP campaign. That's something, but then he goes out and is obviously a prolific runner but that was a team last year where if they fell behind, it was over. And you saw it in the playoff game against the Bucks. They get down by a couple of scores and it's just like, they're not going to be able to run their way back into this. Then this offseason, the biggest vote of confidence that you could ever hope for from that team, which is an extremely well-run organization, towards Jalen Hurts, was trading for A.J. Brown. And Hurts blossomed into, I think, this just, just looking at this past year, one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Wow. I, he played – that was the best game he's ever played. And as someone that has been lower on Hurts as well, it made me rethink about my own traits that I appreciate with quarterbacks. One of the biggest things is they have to be a psychopath competitor. And a lot of good quarterbacks hide it uh, very, very well. And then their mm -hmm. smiles and all that. But deep down, they're all psychopaths. And <laughs> I think Hurts has a little bit of that. He's tough as, tough as all get out. He's competitive. All he's done is improve as a starter, which is all things that I appreciate. These are the same things. I was totally different type of player. Same things that made me a big fan of Desmond Ritter last year. Mm -hmm. And so it made me reevaluate like, well, those are traits I always appreciate. <laughs> and yeah. he manages to be accurate. He's aggressive. He manages to push the ball. And even if his style of play is unique, and I will say, I, I will say it is unique, even for amongst other running quarterbacks because he's a tank. Um, on top of being with great vision, but he also is able to push the ball. He's not a dink and dunk guy. He doesn't have a popcorn arm. He he can really launch that thing. Don't he slipped on the hill, Mary, at the end of the game? So everyone forget about that play. Sure, um, sure. But he genuinely just slipped on it, which we'll probably talk about as well. But uh, but really, just him and his improvement has maybe go reevaluate. Going like, well, I, at first I was like, yeah, he's like a midline starter. You know, a unique system you have to have for him, and now. I'm going, well, you do want to build this system around him. And also just maybe the we always want everything in sports, especially to be black and white or one and zero. And, you know, it's always a mix of gray. And I mean, just how life is and what is who to give credit for, who to rally against, everything like that. And do does Hertz get a lot of benefit from his situation? Yeah. But is there times where Hertz creates and carries that freaking offense? Yeah. Like that, both things can be true. Yeah, and, and we're uh, not we're not in the habit of penalizing great players for being in great situations, right? Either, uh, like, is Mah Joe Montana Mah not great because he had Jerry Rice and Bill Walsh? Mahomes stepped in year two as a first year starter with Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, had a solid O line with a former number one pick on it. Like, yeah, that, and I mean, Andy Reid and Andy Reid <laughs> calling plays. You know, like, 
okay, that helps. <laughs> that really helps. You know, even on the flip side, you go to other positions. Like Randy Mosk drops into one already a great offense, and he doesn't have to just be the dude. He turned into an amazing dude. But it's like yeah. that was you don't ding him just cause just because you don't get difficulty points. You know, yeah. just just at the end of the game. The it's NFL just, is hard. It feels really hard. <laughs> a lot of things could go wrong. Um, but then the other side is, is with Mahomes, and we've had uh, Robert. My, again, my co-host has kind of mentioned a couple times or asked this question like, have you seen anything like this where a guy comes in, is this successful so early, sustains it, and is truly the centerpiece of what he what his team is doing? Like he is the reason of winning. Because, you know, Tom Brady, they kind of eased his path, and Tom Brady didn't really become Tom Brady until you're six, you're five. I mean, he was good, but then he became the elite elite as a few years as a starter. And I was like, damn, Marino, but they didn't have that team success. And I was like, Wayne Gretzky might be the other one, but that's a cross sports reference, um, which I love to do if anyone listens to the show. But uh, I mean, all of us that grew up were around the same age is, I mean, it was always what? It was Manning versus Brady, right? Who's the best, Manning or Brady? Manning's the stats guy before he won his. Brady's Brady's the winner. Mahomes is both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it kind of is at this, he's 20, he's 27. It, it's, it's, unbelievable what he's doing and he does the real quarterback stuff they only ran two designed rushes with Mahomes this entire season he is a pocket passer that two and he is top I think he was fourth the fourth most efficient scrambler amongst all quarterbacks he does the creation plays but all the stuff that he does from the pocket it was on it was his, his play style was on perfect display in the Super Bowl right there winning from the pocket with a couple extended plays that he created on they create some wacky throws that are like, wow, I, I can't believe you even got that ball off, much less completed it. And then the the game-winning scramble, that I would call it the game-winning scramble at the end of the game, that play came right at me where I was sitting in the end zone. That's the play that will be burning my brain for the rest of my life because I felt yep. like I made eye contact with him. I was like, yeah, look at, look at him come right at me. It's like, yeah, there he comes. But you, was, you, you were could, steering him as he yeah, was, was running. Weaving, yeah. yeah, the joystick. I'm like, yeah, go up, up, right trigger. Uh, you know, go up. Like, uh, But that's exactly what it felt like watching it. And – He's unbelievable. Uh, the, my first exposure to him was his rookie year when he was sitting out. I was with the Raiders. We were playing him on Thursday night, the Chiefs. And he stood at the 50-yard line and was just launching bombs as warm-ups. It's like, who the, who the fuck is this guy? Uh-huh. I remember scouting, but it, it, I didn't have to scout all the quarterbacks in that draft. We were scouting more day three guys as backups. So I was like, God, God damn. This, okay, and this guy's sitting behind Alex Smith? Man, he must be must be a dumbass or something right. if we're not playing him. And then, yeah, we, we found out, no, he is not a dumbass. But he is a true quarterback on top of all the creation and, and ad lib. And it's he can play music with the best of them and he can ad lib and play jazz. You know, like he can do both. And it's it's unbelievable. He's the best I've ever seen. But watching both of these quarterbacks play and go tit for tat and Jalen watching Jalen Hurts kind of really step up, especially compared to what he was doing against the 49ers in the championship game where they didn't need to rely on him because it's just the game script and everything. But he had some bad throws in that game. I was like, oof answer some questions about what he can do in the brightest moments. And that's what you want your quarterback to do. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I became a bigger fan of his. He's not a perfect quarterback yet. I mean, not anyone is, uh, but he is really improved to where it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm comfortable saying that he's a, a good starter as opposed to before the year. I was like, well, we'll see. And yep. so I, I, that's really fun. I, more, NFL is so much better when there's good quarterbacks. It, it just that that's the league. And I, that's, this is a great thing to have. Well, and, and to your point about Jalen Hurts just being a psychopathic competitor, I mean, he's so polished, which is what I like about yeah. him. Um, you know, he's he's one of those guys you don't Everyone ever have to worry. 
everyone around him loves him. Loves him. You don't got to worry about the 2 a.m. tweet yeah. from that nope. guy. Never. Not Nothing like that. He's He's got his Bedtime 8 p.m. And we've <laughs> seen him. We've seen him go through the ringer from a uh, national criticism perspective yep. at Alabama and the way that he handled that. And he's a better quarterback at the pro level than he even was at the collegiate level. And, and it's so amazing. And then you look at his stats this year and, and the ones that I just, you know, if, if I'm just going to thumbnail quarterback stats from the season, I want to see the completion percentage lined up with the yards per attempt. And he's out there completing two thirds of his passes at eight yards per attempt. I mean, Bombed this is away, not, baby. this is not Ben Roethlisberger dumping it off to Le'Veon Bell 12 times a game. He is, he is creating throws that that touchdown throw to AJ Brown was obviously great. And AJ did a phenomenal job of kind of deking the, the corner that. right at the end, <laughs> uh, leading the defender one way and then stepping behind him and make the catch. But he had two completions to Dallas Goddard that looked like one in 1000 throws. And the one on the right sideline with the bracket coverage, I still don't understand how that got through. So he, he is, he is making the elite throws on top, but when it came down to it and you fucking need a yard and you need that two point conversion, the two point man, it's just Jalen hurts, man. Dude. And the defense knows it, but it's it, Jalen hurts. He's got, player. you know, you know, Cam Newton takes a lot of heat and, and he brought a lot of it on himself. And I think a lot of the criticism is warranted. The thing that I always loved about Cam Newton was he's the greatest short yardage rusher that the NFL has ever seen. Mm-hmm. And the team could know that, hey, this is just going to be a quarterback draw from the four-yard line. And he was going to score on it. Jalen Hurts is that. And it's part of what sets Josh Allen uh, apart is those final three yards are the hardest to get on the field. And nobody is better at getting them than Jalen Hurts. How many first downs did he rush for in that game? I bet he rushed for eight or ten first downs in that game. And that's what it is. It's churning... First downs, this is kind of one of my pet takes, and I'm going to workshop this throughout the spring as we <laughs> dive in more advanced stats, is first downs to me is like runs created in baseball. Yes. yes. And it, maybe the, sometimes the points don't get there and you get bad luck and turnovers and everything, but first downs shows that you're moving the chains. And that's how I've, I, I prioritize receivers, and really it's, it's helped me out over the years. That's mm-hmm. why I made that Jacoby Myers trade but, or uh, <laughs> offer to you, by the way. Uh, but uh, but that but just things like that we'll is – <laughs> is uh, first downs. That's what always accumulating. And the things that they ask him to do, not everyone can do. I mean, no one's going to be able to take those carries. Nobody it can. Does he throw a lot of 50, 50 go balls? Yeah. But the good thing is it's putting those, you know, putting those fuckers on the money and, mm-hmm. and that like, no, those add up. It's that, that's what it is. Again, it's, it's always in that area of gray is that, the situation is great. The O-line is great. He doesn't have to make protection calls or anything, but they started giving more to him. And that showed to me that he was improving even mentally as far as handling kills, handling alerts. And it wasn't just Jason Kelsey doing all of that. And I, it's just, he's a hard worker and hard work and talent. Uh, usually those add up to, to just a player improving. I mean, that sounds obvious, but it matters. He loves football. It's a grind and he embraces the grind and it, Proof is in the pudding. I mean, he was a runner-up for MVP. He was all pro. 
they led him to the Super Bowl. I mean, this is just a dude that's just a, a, as a true football player and a true junkie for it. And I, I'm excited to talk about one of your questions later about what the Chiefs defense was doing because there's a couple of those plays you mentioned. I, I'm, I'm excited to talk about from the other perspective too. I have a quick question for you guys about the Chiefs defense before we move on. Yeah. Nick Bolton had a hell of a game, obviously. If you all the linebackers, t- yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, totally. He was a hair's width away from being Super Bowl MVP. If that mm-hmm. second touchdown could have possibly stood, but my question to both of you is: Do you think that it's morally righteous for a linebacker to wear the number thirty-two and play that well? Thirty-two <laughs> is rough for me as a linebacker. That's like a strong safety number, right? Yeah, and like yeah, or like a scat, or like a your third down running back. Sure. <laughs> yeah, like thirty two to me is Ontario Smith. Uh, but like the I think Ricky Waters is a yeah famous thirty two. Like a, a bat, like I know everyone can wear every number now, or you know, of course not yeah. like fifty to seventy nine, but uh, well, he could wear fifty. Uh, but I think it's if you're a badass linebacker to me in college, it's single digit. Yeah, you know. Like I think some of those guys, you know, you see some random ones like a 17 and a 19 and something like that. But if you're like a badass linebacker, you're wearing like five, yeah, you mm-hmm. know, like three, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. 32 is that's tough like, one. You're you're the 72nd guy in the training camp roster type number. <laughs> that's yeah. that's, that's, that's like you missed is. out on your first three top choices sort of number. Yeah. 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 They gave you a ranked list. And they're like, yeah, well, yeah, no, you're getting, you're getting the fourth number here. So 32 it is buddy, but Hey, make it your own. It's like Alvin Kamara makes 41. Cool. Yep. You know, like, you know, uh, Steve Jackson and make a Fitzpatrick make 39. Cool. Like, and if you told me, those are not cool numbers. They are not 39 is I say that as a 39 year old. That's not a cool number. (laughs) 39 is not a cool number. I'm sorry if anyone that's their favorite number, but is not a cool number. That was actually before the season started. Tariq Woolen had chosen 39 before he moved. Mm. The 27 27 is perfect that's the difference between him making the roster and almost winning defensive rookie of the that's year, right <laughs> because i'm glad he wears 29 and he can't wear <laughs> he can't or oh, 27 he can't wear a one like if he was number 11 oof that just wouldn't look good right like even sauce gardner i know everyone see our fans like boo but even like sauce gardner wears one and he's so skinny that it's like he looks even taller and skinnier because he yeah. wears number one yeah. gotta understand your body type <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you gotta you gotta dress for the body you got yeah uh you know i, I do want to talk about the chief's defense because i think that there could be a ripple effect moving forward from what we saw in the second half before we do we gotta throw some flowers towards andy Reid, and oh, yeah. i think he's always kind of been that your favorite coach's favorite coach but because he took so long to win that first Super Bowl, and then is oh it's Mahomes and this and that i think that he's kind of been in the shadows a little bit but Andy Reid is my favorite coach. And my question to you is, I think that there's, if you look at the Mount Rushmore of NFL coaches, I think that there are three no-doubters for me. And that's Bill Walsh, Bill Belichick, and Don Shula. Yeah. Does Andy Reid have a case to be the fourth face? Yeah, he does. Absolutely. Now, again, that second one. You know, Mike Tomlin's making a strong case. <laughs> yep. Tomlin is made by like... I love Tomlin, too. I know. Um no, but Andy Reid for me. Um, and on top of it, it's easy to cheer for him because he is legitimately a great guy. And, mm-hmm. and like, I, I know that from personal experience and stuff. And he really is. And him and his wife, actually. His wife is lovely. <laughs> she cool. She's great. She's funny as shit. She's exactly what you would picture. Yeah. Um, but that was Andy Reid's MO for years and years was he's on the forefront of offensive thinking. He's a great, and uh, uh, before I get on that rant, an understated thing with Andy Reid is he's a fantastic talent evaluator. 
Mm. He has a lot of say in who they draft and Philadelphia and now Kansas City. And he is there at weigh-ins, front row, every single morning. There's He's the only head coach I've seen that does that every wow. single day at the Combine. He is – and I know that's just like, oh, well, that's just the weigh-ins and stuff. That just shows he this dude loves football, understands kind of what works. I think that's his understated skill is he's a fantastic talent evaluator, and that's why they find guys all – all draft picks. I'm not trying to take away from Veach or Howie Roseman or anything like that, but Andy sure. has a lot of say in that. But his MO when I was growing up was Andy Reid, forefront of offensive thinking, Mickey Mouse offense, terrible yeah. at clock management. Sure. That was Andy Reid's MO for years and years. That's how I knew him. I was like, fun offenses, but they can't win it when, you know, can they win a cold rainy night in Stoke? Like Andy Reid's offenses couldn't do that. And now he's proven it. Patrick Mahomes does help. But this was his mag magnum opus. This, and this and let's not game. pretend that Patrick Mahomes would be this version of Patrick Mahomes Without with any coach. Exactly. Like it does. It there is an exponential factor when you put talent next it's, to talent. It's like we, RPG. we saw it as, they, as Seahawks they, they fans. They get boost effect to each other. Yeah, it's, absolutely. There's I mean, synergy with it. Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, right. all great on their on their own. The fact that they were all playing next to each other for five years had that exponential effect. It, it elevated them all into kind of all time conversation at the position type types of guys. And, and so when you get that confluence, when you get that synergy between a head coach, especially if he's an offensive minded head coach and your quarterback, I mean, it is, it is the hallmark of every dynasty that the NFL has ever seen is that close relationship between the head coach and, and the quarterback. And, Oh, that's so no you're absolutely right again it, it's just like situation and the quarterback they bounce off each other and, and it, it, they boost each other if it, if it all works out um man it, it's it's been really cool because andy reed was always willing to look elsewhere to add to his offense you know he had brad childress for years as a spread game analyst was a, his official title to like look at new concepts that they stole they would steal stuff from north dakota state when they were scouting carson wentz and stuff like that but then uh, this game, and Andy Heck, their offensive line coach, who's a longtime offensive line coach, former Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he great guy as well, great coach. Is they still know the big basics of X's and O's. They still know the bone. They still have good bones. Yeah. It's not just all like a good motor. It's not just you know the rims and the flashy stuff on their car. Like they mm -hmm. still know how to like grind grind it on the ground well, that's that stuff doesn't game. work if if the if the quote-unquote real football stuff isn't working right. right like you can't call 40 trick plays and get away with it you you have to be executing that other stuff for the quote-unquote goofy stuff to work it some of the stuff looks goofy but it's so it's sound like <laughs> there's not just stuff where it's just like why do they do that it, it's like he will have dropped a couple of those in there but there's a reason they did it i mean this dude and I tweeted this and I thought it was just, it was just, this is Andy Reid in a nutshell because he's just a psychopath in a, in a fun way is that he, he went, uh, they, they were running balls near the red zone. They did like a split zone bubble that everybody runs. So it's two, you know, two guys on the other side of the quarterback. They put Kadarius Tony in motion to run the bubble and uh, Sweat, Josh Sweat jumped off sides. So they blow the play dead. Da, da, da. Just like they got just a zone bubble is the play is. The next play, first and five. They run the exact same look, yep. exact same play. They pump it and throw the little wheel route behind it. Actually, all three guys were wide open. But when they lined up, because that was coming right at us again uh, where I was sitting, they lined right up and I was like, they're going to run the same play. They just showed they're throwing the bubble. And so, I mean, I'm sure the Eagles were like, oh, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. And it 
you know, and it was only, you know, an eight, 10, 12 year game, whatever it was. But I was like, God, you mad man. This is, this is awesome. But he, he knows, he understands football tropes, you know, like, it, it, like just like a movie guy, like, just like if you watch Cabin in the Woods, you know, or Scary or uh, Scream or something, understands what is given, what you expect, and knows how to subvert it and yeah. without, without going off the rails. And he's, I think that's, he's brilliant. He really is. He's brilliant. You saw it on their last two touchdowns, right? Those were not plays that just existed in those moments. He no. spent he spent the first 50 minutes of that game like the T-Rex in the original Jurassic Park, just testing different parts of the fence, looking looking for a weakness, right? He was doing a lot of that motion stuff and similar concepts with different personnel throughout the game. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, he realized, if I bring my split wide receiver this far in, the corner will follow him inside of the safety. We'll yep. follow him inside of that linebacker. Now I've just created an extra obstacle for that corner to get back out into the flat. And they ran it twice. Mirror images. I know there's a little bit different wrinkle on the Sky Moore yep. one. But the the Kadarius Tony touchdown and the Sky Moore touchdown were essentially the same play. And it's just that is a result of everything that they had done leading up into that point. And that is where the genius of Andy Reid is for me. He ran that ring around the Rosie play in the Super Bowl, and it was yeah. it ended up being the only incompletion of the second half. <laughs> With a jumbo offensive alignment yeah. as a receiver, too. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. That's just great. Psychos. He did a palms up play. They went tempo. They went they went off yeah. uh, no huddle. And ha- ha- Travis Kelsey and Juju are looking at the sidelines like, what? Like, even though they don't signal plays in the NFL, you signal mm-hmm. personnel, they're still doing the what, and it worked. And it, total it, high it, school play, man. And, and they actually put a motion on it. So like yep. that's that's Andy Reid right there. It was a gimmick on one side, and then a sound with a little ad, like a little like design variation on it on top of it. And even before the Kadarius Tony touchdown, they tested the waters, like you said, testing the fence. And it was a vlo- they both tested the fence, Velociraptors and T-Rex. They really did. They tested it right before. They ran a little jet motion with Sky Moore for the play before. And they what, what what's called rock and roll the safeties, which is where the nickel goes to the post and then the safety comes down. So you kind of cut. They both go halfway to outrun the jet sweep. And it was kind of like the play before. They're like, oh, we got them. And then they ran it on the very next play. It was like they couldn't wait to call it on the next play. And it worked. It worked brilliantly. But that's mm-hmm. it. It's sound. But it's innovative at the same time, and and that's why that's why he's so freaking good. That's why he's Andy Reid, and I, I agree with you. I think he's on the Mount Rushmore of best head coaches I've ever seen, best head coaches we've ever gotten to witness. Yep, I'm I'm with you, man. And you know, whenever you talk about the Chiefs, obviously the conversation is going to center around what their offense does. They are they are changing offense the way the Steph Curry Golden State Warriors changed offense right. in the NBA. It's different spacing. It's different ability from the primary ball handler but this defense could not afford to be bad no if if they didn't play the game that they played in this one and you look at oh they gave up 35 points they they did i thought the defense played really well i thought they played exceptionally well against two very good offenses in jacksonville and cincinnati leading up to the game honestly ever since they had that close call against uh the texans late in the regular season that defense was nails and steve spagnolo deserves his credit for this as well. So my question to you is, you know, they couldn't stop the Eagles at all in the first half. The Eagles looked like they had looked on every possession of the season with Jalen Hurts up until that point. 
we're just not going to spend enough time talking about Nick Sirianni and, and how he approaches the game. And look, it is what it is. You want more airtime on cigar thoughts, win a Super Bowl. But <laughs> with, with Sirianni, what I love about his approach is, okay, you want to play three downs on offense? We'll play four. We'll play four. Yeah. It's third and it's third and eight, and we're going to run a draw play because we're going for it on fourth and four. Yep. We're going for it on fourth and six. Like we we're going into the huddle with two play calls in mind. And so um, I really love that. And and it translated into just these long clock ringing drives that squeezed everything. I mean, the Chiefs, part of it is they stole a touchdown with that uh, defensive score, but they only had the ball for eight minutes in the first half. And it just looked like, wow, the Eagles are really going to do this. Second half, not the case. The Chiefs stepped up. They got stops. They weren't fluky stops either. So my question to you is, is there something that the rest of the NFL is they look at this uh, Eagles team that went 16-1 and with Jalen Hurts as their starter prior to the Super Bowl and say, okay, here's how we can approach them next year? It's yes and no. Spags, Steve Spagnuolo is one of the best game plan-y coaches. And I know there's a Super Bowl. Okay. This is another Super Bowl instance of it, even though he gave up 30-something points and all the first downs. They forced 18 third downs for the Eagles. And that's because they were doing such a good job on first and second down. Mm-hmm. Um, the rush defense, this, is, this, this Eagles offense had the fourth best run offense since 2002 as far as efficiency, uh, which is really what I want to look at in the run game. Um, I mean, they're up there with some of those old Chiefs teams from the early 2000s with those dominant offensive lines and and the running backs, Priest Holmes. And Priest all Holmes, that. Larry Johnson. Yeah, yeah, those those teams. And they were fourth, like right behind those. And they their defensive line kicked ass. It was a great – you could tell, and it was, they had two weeks of prep. Andy Reid after a bye week. It's this whole staff, though. Uh, I think Andy Reid's like 27-4. and four. But after – uh, Steve Spagnola after the Chiefs had their bye week in week eight, and this was a stat, and this is why I bet on the Chiefs and why I kind of was optimistic they would figure some things out, was since their bye week, they were fifth in success rate, fifth in passing success rate, eighth in rush success rate. This was legit like a top eight defense since their bye week in week eight, wow. and including playoff games. And on top of it, two weeks to prep, and you could tell Nick Bolton, was the catalyst for this, but all the linebackers, Willie Gay as well. Justin Reed's an incredibly smart player. Mm-hmm. Juan Thorhill's a smart player. They have a lot of smart players up the spine. And then they just, I mean, Brett Veach nailed this draft. I mean, all these rookies, especially in the DBs, were tangibly solid players. I wouldn't say any of them outstanding, but to get, they have like Jalen Watson is a seventh round rookie corner. And he's like solid yeah. As a rookie corner in the seventh round, Tariq Woolen. That play a, he a, made on on uh, Burrow's deep pass, essentially yeah. to give the Chiefs a chance to win that game that led to yep. the interception. The only had, he only had the one bad play against them was T. Higgins just being better. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, well, T, that's T. Higgins. That's yeah, what that he happens. does. But he was in position. It wasn't like he was out of position, got burned or anything. It was just the better players sometimes do that. But I thought this whole game, even the big plays in the first half, and I know you want to talk about the second half, but even in the first half, the Chiefs were on it. It was just that Eagles players made plays. They have a ton of stars on their team. Devontae Smith had that on the first drive, had a um, kind of a broken play RPO that he kind of took and went for a pretty big gain up the right sideline. Mm-hmm. That play happened because the the Chiefs dominated up front and covered the RPO, and then they kind of extended it. And why there was no penalty thrown for a legal man upfield that happens on usually when the quarterback keeps the ball on RPO and holds it too long was because the Chiefs defensive line and linebackers were kicking ass 
and and not letting any of their guy, none of the Eagles' offensive line was past a yard because they're getting they couldn't they couldn't get any push. And Hurts makes a nice play. Devontae Smith is a freaking genius in his own right at receiver. I love Devontae Smith. And he, I think a lot of us do, yeah. um, but he's yeah. just finds a soft spot, takes it for a huge gain. Um, Dallas Goddard on the first drive had kind of like, like a corner sale route. Justin Reed was right there. He fell off and he just slipped, but he was right there. And Dallas Goddard, another outstanding player. Even the, um, you talked about in the second half was, or the AJ Brown touchdown was, a, was double coverage. They were right there. Spags on that play is hilarious because they show him and he's, he just goes, what do you want me to do? Like kind of just like <laughs> I put my guys in perfect position to like make a pick on that play. And then like yeah. he still scores. Not even just get PBU, they score on it. Um, the corner route to Goddard that you talked about, Hertz makes a brilliant throw on that. The corner, I want to say was Watson on it. No, it might not be wrong. I might be wrong. It might be Sneed. It might be Sneed. It was Sneed. It was cover two, and Hertz is going to the right thing, but the corner Sneed is being smart too, and he sinks mm-hmm. underneath. Mm-hmm. Hertz just makes a perfect throw, like a 0.01% throw. But again, they're right in position to make a play. Hertz had another throw to Goddard on a third down. It was like an over route. And that was, I would say that was actually the throw that stood out to me with Hertz. They covered it. It was just that Hertz was able to move in the pocket and, and Justin Reed's running with Goddard. Like, Oh my God, throw the ball. I can't keep up with this guy. Like he, he no, can't keep up. I mean, Reed's, these- Reed's fingertips were even with the palms of Goddard's was, hands on it that. It was such a good throw. Yeah. It was such a good throw. Um, there's another shot play. They, they batted the ball down right after the touchdown. It was on the next drive. Double coverage again. They were right there. And I would say the one example, and I tweeted the, the three plays that they did this, was the Eagles. They're really in tune of what the Eagles wanted to do. Eagles, uh, I, I made the joke, was Steve Steigen is the Occam's Razor of offensive play cars. They're not going to overthink it is there's a couple of examples was Leo, uh, Leo Chanel, Leo Chanel, Leo Chanel. Why am I blanking on his name? He's a badger. Um, he had a great, uh, TFL in, uh, on one of the drives on a run play. It was the first and 20 after Zach Pascal, uh, offensive p- pass interference. And on that play, it was a check with me that hurts is a common play that you kind of do an outside zone. You pick what side you're going to go. And so they make the check. And both tight ends kind of just adjust like a half yard. They kind of just step back like one step. Bolton just points at Dallas Goddard and goes, it's going this way. It's going this way. But they were so in tune of what they wanted to do. And the other one was the crossers one I tweeted was uh, the Eagles love this crosser play on third and long. So what they try to do is try and get seven or eight so they can go for it on fourth down. And every time they got into it and Steichen did a good job of kind of window dressing it, but it's always empty and it's always with Kenneth Gainwell. All three times they ran it, Chiefs players were passing it off and like pointed it out. One time he got blown the fuck up on one of them. And the other one, three guys were right around him. They had to kick a field goal because they forced it to like fourth and eight. And it was just, they were so in tune what the Eagles want to do. Could they always stop it? No. But it was good players beat scheme every <laughs> every day and twice on Sunday. Uh, but I do think that it was just, they were so in tune what they wanted to do the entire game. And there were some, you know, they got some big plays, but they did all they could against a really talented Eagles offense. Is that, is that transferable? Like, can, can another team look at that and say, yeah, that was the original question, that? right? I just broke it all down without even answering your original question. Um, the takeaway is just get better players. Simple as that. <laughs> yeah. Nail the draft. Uh, that, that really helps. We get a lot of. Get five rookie, tangible rookie starters. Yeah, the Seahawks already followed this game plan. Just nail the draft. Exactly. It's great. It makes everything better. The Saints did it five years ago in 2017. Um, I think, 
some of that is transferable as far as just being opponent scouting, but everyone could do this in a week if you got enough data points on it. And what, you know, everybody has tendencies. Uh, so I think some of that is translatable, but yeah, the players still have to make plays. So, um, if, if the Eagles are able to run it back and do a lot of things they were doing this year, they're still, they return a lot of those same players. So that's going to be really, really hard to, uh, to stop next year, especially if Jason Kelsey comes back. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, so my answer is, eh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah 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 and you know i i asked that through the lens of of the seahawks and we'll talk about them here in a minute the path seattle took a big step from where most of us expected them to be this year yeah in closing the gap between them and the elite teams there's still a big gap between them and the elite teams in the nfc and and I, right now i really think there's only two i think it's philly and, and san francisco and you know if seattle is going to climb that mountain philly's a team that they're going to have to get past so just just curious is, you know, is, is Jalen Hurts and that Eagles offense doing something that is just going to take the league a long time to figure out or, you know, was a little bit of a blueprint laid down? And it sounds like the answer to that is maybe. Maybe. Well, they, they just lost their offensive coordinator. They yep. just lost him to the Colts. They might have some more brain drain, you know, some other. Yep. Maybe he takes some assistance with him. You never know. So that is something that he did a really good job of calling plays and not over, like I said, not overthinking it. He had. When he took over play calling duties in 2021, you could see a tangible effect on that offense. Uh, you know, midway through the season, uh, having yeah, having good players helps. Having a quarterback that can really get you get you a bucket whenever you need mm-hmm. really helps. Uh, like Patrick Mahomes, and sometimes Geno can do that. Uh, I think really some of that brain drain. It's hard to sustain. They were very healthy yeah. uh, throughout the year as well. That matters as well. Um, so. It's tough. I just it's hard for them, I think, to recreate what they did this year, especially on defense. But I know we're talking about the offense. So I think it would be more manageable next year. And there is more of a book out there. And you know, Hertz is accumulating a lot of hits. And you just never know. And I I I hope he can stay healthy and everything. He already has the shoulder and he looked great in the Super Bowl, so it didn't really affect him that much. But it's one of those that they had a lot of breaks that went their way this year. So sure. it, it, that's another thing is that, yes, they are a very outstanding team. They deserve to be in the Super Bowl, but it's hard to sustain, especially how they're built. Yep. Yep. Now, you mentioned at the top of the show that uh, the game broke favorably oh, for you Lord. as a gambler. So I want to okay. touch on this. It did for me as well. But I want I want to hear what hit for you. What were your best? You bet on, on purple Gatorade, didn't you? You son of a bitch. <laughs> that, yeah. So I've, I I have some fun ones that I want to talk about. But um, I'm I'm assuming you took the Chiefs to cover. Did you take Chiefs money line also. Chiefs money line, Chiefs to cover. I had a Chiefs alternate line too. That it was looking great for a minute until uh, the Eagles scored and got the two point. They got the octopus on me. Yeah. Uh, was I had I had Chiefs minus seven and a half. I like. A good number. Yeah, I know. I was I was feeling pretty good about that for a minute. Had the over. Um, I had Chiefs to win the Super Bowl from last April at yep. plus ten fifty. Uh, and then I doubled down on it at plus eight hundred and do- tripled down on it. At Scared plus money don't make none. It, I just kept I, I Mahomes MVP uh when he was plus eight fifty, I think I got it, and then mm-hmm. plus six fifty. So I was those that was a good week. I know Mahomes winning his MVP was not uh, that was before the Super Bowl, but um just before, had a ton though. of Ton of player props. I had uh, Pacheco over yards. Pacheco to be the highest rusher of either team at mm-hmm. plus two eighty five. I was pretty happy with that one. Um, I had a t- I have every Devontae Smith over you could think of. Yep. So yep. that that first drive, I was like so giddy. I was like, oh my god, this <laughs> yeah, is great. 
This yeah. is going great. Need like live awesome. feed of audio of the shriek that you let out when they overturned that that reception. Oh, the, the, the go ball. Oh my god! Yeah. That because that would have put everything over. And then he didn't catch anything for a couple quarters. I was like, yeah, I was like, it wasn't on, until man. that long one in the fourth because I yeah. I had I had Devonte overs everywhere and and as legs in a in a couple of different parlays too. So I was I was kind of sweating that. I had uh, so I was with you on all those bets. I had uh, some Chiefs futures bets that obviously hit, and then. I had a very specific bet from, I think it was about halfway through the season. My book um, allowed for you to gamble on specific finishing positions. Okay. So I got the Eagles to lose the Super Bowl at 12 to 1. Love it. So that, that one hit. And then, um, you know, my my favorite one, my my three Super Bowl win streak on Gatorade color came to an end, unfortunately. <laughs> I had uh, Kelsey overs, of course. Oh, His course, line yeah. was 81 and a half. He finished with 81 passing yards or receiving yards. So just missed out on that. And that broke all of my parlays, but the one I was most proud of, and I honestly thought I should have got longer odds on this, but I got uh, at plus four fifteen. I had a kick to hit the uprights. What? Just to kick the, just to hit the uprights. Any, not any kick, any kick to hit the uprights. <laughs> You're such a sack you of shit. It was like plus three. I'm just hooting and hollering when Bucker clanks that first kick. That's the best doink you've ever heard. Yes. Like that was, yeah. Oh my God. I, I was going to bet on him to miss. And then I realized I couldn't bet on my app in Nevada because I was, cr- or in Arizona because I was cross straight lines. So I was like, thank God I got all these in on Monday. Mm. Um, the one I was most proud of was of all of them. Well, the Pacheco of leading all of Russia. That's great. Probably won. I'm a big Pacheco what, guy. The one I was really proud of was I was under Miles Sanders everything. Mm. And one of them was under four and a half receiving yards. <laughs> Four and a half. That was, and even my producer, when we did our gambling show, he goes, and to our listeners, he has a great voice. Michael Delry is a great guy, but he's like, and to our listeners, just remember four and a half yards. That's just one check down and falling forward. You know, and he like, yeah. he went through all the instances. He's like, that's one screen pass that he just stumbles for five. It's like, Beller, I want this to win. I have the under, not the over. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is so I went under 10 and a half yards and then under four and a half yards for him. Wow. I, and then the one I was kind of disappointed that over Noah Gray was one over Noah yeah. Gray, 10 and a half yards. It bumped up to 12 and a half by the end of the week. Um, must have been a lot of Noah Gray bets. And he caught one early. They ran a screen to him. Should have gone for like 12, but it went for like five. And then I was like, oh, they'll, they'll get him again on a check down or something. Not thinking to target the rest of the night. So. That was one I missed out on. I was I was I was honed in on Noah Gray a little bit as well. Hey man, you got to spend a week at the Super Bowl. You got to see the Super Bowl. You yes. got to watch Rihanna live, no and you made money. That is a good no week complaints. right there. No complaints. Bought Taylor Swift tickets in Vegas for me and my wife as a Valentine's Day Amazing. gift, and already already paid them off. And I'm like, that's Amazing. that's that's a win right there. This is what there. I tell my this is what I tell my wife. I am gambling for our benefit, babe. Right. This is, investment. this is an investment. This is investment on the future. Absolutely. We worked hard for this money. I'm going to make sure it works hard for us. <laughs> I like that. I know. I, I'm, I'm very good about it. I allocate a certain amount of money and I'm like, hey, this has to last me the whole year. You know, that's, I, I do this for the season and I'm, I have three years that I've done that. I'm profitable all three years. I'll take that every single time. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's, that's what I tell her. You know, I'm, babe, it's just the mortgage payment this month. <laughs> I won't bet beyond the mortgage payment. It's just one month. That was actually in your vows. We got 27 more years left on the mortgage. It's just one month of it. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So so getting back to on-field game here as we transition into the Seahawks. If you're building a team from scratch, is there anything that this Super Bowl tells you about how to do it? Get a quarterback? Besides draft Patrick Mahomes. (laughs) Um, 
quarterback and offensive line. Uh, I know which I, you're never going to hear me argue against that. Uh, but that those, are, if you want sustained success, have an offensive line that can move people. And uh, the Chiefs had ate their vegetables. They did reinvest in their offensive line two years ago. The Eagles obviously have the best offensive line in the league. Yeah. Um, you know, so that that's how you sustain success, no matter who the supporting cast is. Uh, you know what the Seahawks did last year was nail two fucking tackle picks. That Unreal. really helps. I love Charles Cross and Abe Lucas was a nice surprise for me. I didn't I didn't really scout him much, but I Charles Cross was my tackle one last year going to the draft, and he had some rough moments in the middle of the year, but at the end of the year he came on strong again. He had some the week sixteen game against the Forty ers whatever that Thursday night week fifteen sixteen whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, Bosa got him a couple times, but he had a dozen plus snaps where he's holding up one-on-one with Nick Bosa, yeah. the yeah. defensive player of the year. It's like be. the ultimate litmus test for, a Oh my God. Tackle. Right. A rookie left tackle getting no help. It's one, like it's one of those. I wish I could point out more. Cause every time I do it, people are like, Oh, you're such a football hipster. Duh. 12, you know, I get those 15 likes on Twitter. It's like, this, you know, the shit matters, right guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that helps. And also nailing some DB picks also helps as well, because those are positions that are really hard to find talent. So finding a bonafide, all pro caliber corner in the fifth round is uh is pretty is pretty helpful I, I think for getting you started for a franchise and finding a cheap quarterback um Geno Smith will have to get paid now but I, I'm a big fan of Geno and I'm glad that he had the success he had last year those are all good pieces to take put you in the right direction to contend yeah I mean the the Seahawks they surprised a lot of people they posted a winning record they made the playoffs uh now like a lot of teams, they have some big decisions facing them in the coming months. But unlike most of those teams, they're set up with a lot of draft capital, decent amount of cap space. I think right now they have the sixth most effective cap space in the NFL. So before we get into the steps that they should take, I want to ask you the same question we asked Ben last week. Do you think the Seahawks record this year is reflective of the talent that they currently have on the roster and the coaching staff? Yeah, I thought those they played well this year. It wasn't lucky. The Giants' record was very lucky. I thought they outperformed all. Uh, uh, not to like, take anything away from that. Uh, what's your Giants fan base? Your New York fan base on this pod? <laughs> but it's uh, it's the Vikings uh, fans that are going to come for you now. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, but that's the thing. Vikings fans were still like a nine and eight type of team that outperformed that. I mean, there's that middle of the pack, but so were the Seahawks. But their mm-hmm. their record reflected what they were. If that makes sense, I thought they were equal level types of teams. Um, I think also. The Seahawks team, if we're even talking about in 2023 and beyond, is they, I mean, even offense, they're set up with so many dudes. I mean, the receivers make sense. I like the tight end group. I like the line. Like I said, Gino, the running back room is interesting. It, you know, those are, that helps is having all a lot of answers that a lot of people are trying to find or a lot of teams. So I think this team was, it was indicative of what their personnel was. And, the ta- and I thought the coaching on offense, defense was up and down, but on offense really kind of, um, um, expanded all that or got the most out of what they had. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned Geno Smith and it's sounding more and more like he's going to stay in Seattle. So to help narrow the scope for this topic, let's assume that he is, okay. if you're John Schneider, you've got your tackles, you've got at least one corner mate, really maybe two in this last draft. How are you prioritizing this off season? And for each of those priorities, you think it's more likely they find that answer in free agency or the draft? Uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's how they want to do it. They like front seven, and I think they need a power slot receiver, uh, a, a big inside receiver that can block. And I think that would unlock so much for their offense because I feel like when they have to go eleven personnel with three receivers, they have to be super spread. 
And then when they go, and then other than that, they go very condensed with all their tight ends, which I thought, but I thought those were two siloed offenses as opposed to a lot of synergy with the offense. And what they, they kind of like, all right, we're in this. So we have to do this. Okay. We're in this. So we have to do this. And that's, again, it was good coaching. So I think, uh, look and see if the jets cut Corey Davis. Uh, I would say if you're looking at the receiver market, I think it's a great kind of free agency market to maybe find that guy, Alan Lazard. If that's a, you have cap room, his deal would probably be like three years. I, I looked at what the market value was on spot track and it was 33 years, 37 million. That's about fair, about 12 million a year. Mm-hmm. Depends if you want to go with that for a power slot role type player, but I think he would be perfect because he's basically a glorified tight end that can turn the, turn the chains on third down. And I think it would match up what they also have. They don't really need that kind of deeper guy like Lockett, you know, the intermediate kind of deeper guy. I wonder um, how that affects how they approach the tight end room because they gave Will Disley a pretty meaningful extension last year. Uh, They got another year with Colby uh, Mm -hmm. Parkinson before they make a decision on that. Um, You know, they're going to have to make a decision on Noah Fant here pretty soon, who I I think can kind of be a lot of what you're talking about. So if you dedicate eight figures a year to a power slot, Seattle loves to run Those two tight, tight end and three tight end personnel. So, yes. uh, you know, would that, that's, that's what I'm saying. If you want to go premium with it, yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's other ones out there that that's Corey Davis market. Davis's market is low right now. So that's like one that's like a one year. I, I, I would love that. Cause what you're looking for from that third guy is you need him to be a pro. You need him Dirty to do guys. the things that Corey Davis does, which yes. is run the right route, yes. block, catch the ball that's thrown to him. Corey yep. Davis isn't going to take over the game, but that's not what you need out of nope. that spot. And that's not what you need for that. Kind Never of design salary. a play for him, but if the ball goes his way, you don't mind it. Yes. That's that's, yes. and that's what they need. They already have two dudes. That's no. people always want the third. Oh, we got to get the other. Eight. Nobody like, no. has three. The Bengals no. have three. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's really, really hard to find three. And yeah, I, I think that, but I think getting that type of role player as opposed to kind of more of the speedy slots would make a lot of sense for what they want to do. And it would blend with the tight ends as well. You could do interesting things when you have athletic tight ends and receivers willing to do the dirty work. This is something the Packers have done uh, with Lazard, actually. Um, other teams have done this. Obviously, you know, the Rams are just always 11. The Cowboys, you know, were using their tight ends and their receivers. They just interesting things you can mix and match. And I think um, Walger and it like does a good job of understanding his personnel. And if you want to go on the other side on, on front seven, you know, there's some interesting big name guys. You know, Deron Payne had a great year. Draymond Jones, those are the bigger name guys. Um, but like a guy like Zach Allen from the Cardinals had a great year this last year. And again, this he's gonna probably have a nice pretty penny in free agency. But then you get guys like Arden Key will have to pass rushing, a role pass rusher who has versatility. Guys that are versatile as pass rushers might not just be that ace, but can align everywhere. That lets you get your best four out there uh, mm-hmm. as far as pass rushing. And I think that matters. There's other guys like Rakeem Nunez Roches from the Bucks, like kind of lower lower budget guys. Jonathan Hankins, who was just yeah. with the Cowboys last. Yep. Uh, David Onamada from the Saints. Kind of those kind of mid level. The ones that types. don't get your dick hard, but you Matter. look back halfway through the season, you're like, oh man, glad we have. I mean, he, it's they, all about snaps. This he is played. an an example of a guy that kind of fits a similar role you're you're talking about, who way outperformed expectations. But when the Seahawks signed Uchenna and Wosu. It was like, oh yeah, that right. that fits. That fits. He he's good rotational player. He ends up going out and having a ten sack season right. and, and being the best player on the defense. Yeah. I'm not saying that's what you need to go find, but some you give yourself an opportunity for that guy to hit when you bring in an Al Woods or a Quentin Jefferson, someone that will just give you really meaningful snaps that 
matter. And maybe you look at the box score and it doesn't jump out, but from a defensive tackle, that's not necessarily what you need from a situational pass rusher. That's maybe not what you need. What you need is someone that's not going to get you two sacks in the game, but is going to force the quarterback off his spot twice that's, and, that's, and give the secondary two opportunities. And, and sometimes going from, it doesn't always have to go from below average or poor to great. Even just going from below average to above average is a huge difference. If you do that across, look at the Mariners in their lineup, what, what they're trying to do with their batting lineup, going from below average to above average is still a jump in two tiers, mm-hmm. you know? And if you just do that across the board, it's like, Oh, shore this up, shore this up. And that's why some of these guys, uh, my, I call it the Millsap doctrine. It's uh, stole from basketball because of Paul Millsap. Yep. And, and yeah, it's just low usage guys or, or low minute guys. If you give them more minutes, they do. Nwosu was one of those guys last year. And the other one was Obo Okwankru. I always met Butcher's name. He was with the Rams and then he was with the Texans last year. Sure enough, he played more snaps and his production stayed. But that's a yeah. uh, win up as well. That's another guy. He's never had more than five sacks. He's gonna, his market's not going to be huge mm-hmm. for all the lazy teams. But that's a guy you give a two-year deal that you kind of like. Surplus value doesn't always have to be the stars or the rookie contract guys. If you pay a guy a mid-level contract and they play good and, and someone that gets paid $6 million more than them, at the same level, that's surplus value right there. Yes, and that, and I think this class, this free agency's class, is littered with those type of guys, and exactly for what the Seahawks need, what I think they need. And if you look at the draft, and even in the second pick that they have in the first round, a guy like Keanu Benton from Wisconsin, guys like that that can that are are young, could play inside, can stuff the run, and give you a little bit of pass rush help that could play thirty snaps again, and also be a young talent that's a cheaper deal. Like guys like that could really matter. I'm not going to talk about the fifth pick yet. I do have names for that because I think I think Seahawks fans are just having a field day, like spinning the wheel about who they want at the fifth pick. I, I feel I feel Seahawks. I'm Seahawks fandom adjacent because yeah. I'm a Mariners fan, as you guys know. So I I get I see a lot of uh, Seahawks fandom and what their line of thinking is. So I, I'm curious what you guys think about the fifth pick. Well, yeah, let's let's talk about it. So yeah. Uh, they're in a great position. I'll start of, with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so here's the thing. Seattle's picking fifth as it stands right now. And there's a lot of fun permutations with tradebacks. And, you know, we, we talked about one on Dane Brugler's uh, most recent mock draft, which this would dream scenario for me. They had Seattle trading back from five to nine with Carolina, Carolina jumped up, took CJ Stroud and Seattle got, a third round pick and next year's first round pick out of it and took Tyree Wilson with the ninth pick. To me, that's like a dream scenario, but let's just say since, I mean, we could do everything everywhere all at once with everything that you can do from the fifth pick. Let's say Seattle doesn't find a trade back that they like. And the top four picks are in some order, Bryce Young, Will Levis, Will Anderson, and Jalen Carter. You're sitting there at five, yeah, some teams are talking about coming up for Stroud for whatever reason. You don't like what you got. You're sitting there at five. What would you do if you're John Schneider? Uh, it, like you just said, it is a choose your adventure. This whole Seahawks offseason feels like a choose your adventure. Um, I think that fifth pick will end up being a nice juicy one because of everybody moving up for the quarterback. You just want – you need three – I think three go early, and I think four go in the top 12. Um, I think Anthony Richardson justifiably is someone's going to take a shot on him uh, as a home run swing. Um, and I think that matter that helps so much for where the Seahawks at are at at five, because one, you want one team to move up. I think that's really the gist of it. It's one yeah. team moves up. We'll send a nice trickle down because then they get the best, of the best of the rest. I think yeah. that's, there's you're, not you're, a, 
if, oh, if Will Anderson or Jalen Carter is there, they're the pick, right? If you're Seattle, you're sprinting up there. Those, yeah. those are those are the blue chip prospects of this draft. You're not even There's, answering the phone when it rings. It, no, if they are there, this is what I went on a bear show and talked about this because there was the, you know, cap guys were starting to talk about you know like trading Justin Fields and doing the rookie contract stuff, and I'm like, you already got the quarterback. It, yeah. It's a is he perfect? No, but he's to me a better prospect than any of these guys in this draft. And he's got better and he's young. He's younger. He's one month younger than or older than Will Levis. I, I don't see how you look at what Jalen Hurts just did and not right. feel like. You about to pay Daniel Jones $40 million and Justin <laughs> right. Fields is a better quarterback than that. <laughs> right. It, it yeah. blows my mind. And he's younger and and like better, more gifts than – they have similar play styles actually, yeah. but more gifted than he is all, all across the board. Yes. So that – yeah, I never got that. But what I said was trade from one and stay where you can get – one of those two blue chip game found building block defensive players. Yes. You want as many picks as you can. Cause you say you want as many bite at the apples as you can get, but you got to make a pick at some point. And then if you do, you want a true blue chip. <laughs> and yeah. I think this draft doesn't have a ton of them. They, they it's, it's not very top heavy. It is top heavy. There's a couple of guys, maybe top five ish. And then if there's a big drop off, this is a draft. You want a lot of picks in the second round. And I think that's where at pick five, if one of those guys is there, if not, then they can do the movement and all that stuff. Sure. Tyree Wilson is another one that is really interesting. And I see him, I've seen his name get brought up with the Seahawks as well. I would say that's the, the best of the rest. Mm -hmm. And I would say if they really liked him, they could stay at five and take him if the other guys were gone. Um, but after that, for me, you know, they have no interest in tackles. Um, there's a couple corners that are interesting, but to me, there aren't, they're not the Sertans of the world. Not many are. They're not the Sauce Gardeners of the world or the uh, Derek Stingleys, who are true, you know, top 10 prospects. Uh, so I think they got a real nice choose your adventure at, at pick five because if those, one of those two guys are there, take it. Don't even think about, think twice about it. If not, okay, do we write Tyree Wilson? If not, all right, let's move back to nine. Let's move back into the low teens. Let's just stockpile picks. Let's push them to next year. When we might have to do something about the uh, Geno succession plan, and next so, year, I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know everyone says about this every quarterback class. Next year's quarterback class is freaking right. awesome. It's. I mean, this year's class is interesting. It's better than last year. Next year's class is really, really good. So it might be the one that you want a lot of clat or you know resources to maybe make some movement. Yeah, yeah, it's super interesting. That's what I love so much about that uh, hypothetical trade back with the Panthers, netting them a 24 versus it does yeah. give you the option to take a run at. Caleb Williams yes. potentially, Trick right? May. And and because uh, otherwise, yeah. if you just play the cards that are in your hand, this is Seattle's last chance for a while, most likely, to take a swing at a top quarterback with their own native, you know, with a native draft pick. And so, having that second team that you can root against, like how fun was it rooting against a team this year as a Seahawks fan? Right? It was like you got two games every it, week. It couldn't even have gone any better. No. I'll fade an organization run by David Tepper any day, man. Yeah. Yes. I want David Tepper's first round pick. It started with a bang for the Seahawks fans this year and Bronco and opposite with the Broncos. And it just good times kept rolling. Totally. I, I, as soon as the Mariners made the playoffs, you knew it was going to be a good year. Oh, like you, you, you cracking a rolling. It's all yeah, cracking a rolling. It's like the Sonic vibes around here, man. Yeah. The, yeah. You know, we got drum beats picking up for Sonic's return. I'm a Blazers guy, always have been, but okay. they, they're young and exciting, all that stuff. So it, it's nice to to have some like fun, young, actually good teams to root for. I want to ask you one last 
kind of hypothetical question before we get out of here regarding the Seahawks. Is there, you never know how the top four picks are going to go. Is there one quarterback in this class where let's say you sign Gino to a three-year deal with a team out after two, you're, you're going to give him 60 million guaranteed over those two years, but you got an out. Is there a quarterback that if for some reason he slipped to five, you say, screw it. We got to have this guy. I, I would say, oh man, this is hard. I would say if they sign Gino, the best guy for that would be Anthony Richardson. I agree. Um, and just the situation that he could potentially be in, that young, talented offensive line, weapons, a year to sit, maybe longer than a year to sit, and, and learning. He needs reps. I know that. But a year to get acclimated to the NFL. He's a very young player. I think the two teams, to me, and this is me as a neutral fan, Seahawks and the Lions are in a great position to take him um, because of their situ- their team situations and their quarterback situations. You know, mm-hmm. Richardson is – I'm a bigger fan of him than I thought I would be every time I watched him. I'm like, he tries to do the right thing, and he has traits that you can't teach, and he seems like a great kid. He seems competitive. All the stuff that I love, he's improved. He needs more reps, but that's one guy, or that's one that you move from five to you know a couple picks back, and then hopefully he's there at eight or nine or ten or eleven, whatever one you want to say. And but you'd say if that. like if if teams get skittish about Bryce Young's size and somehow he's there at five, you're saying oh. there's more value to Seattle in what they could trade for a quarterback needy team than he would give the team himself. Yeah. <sighs> Bryce Young is the best player of these quarterbacks, but that size is. I mean, I know Mina's been tweeting about it all today that size is a true historical outlier and so if you are comfortable with that absolutely he's a baller Uh, i mean he is such a fun football player but i'm saying that my assumption would he be gone by five yeah i think a lot of teams do i I think a lot of teams really like him justifiably so he like i said he is a baller he's just small um I, i call him zoomer flutie and people think that's mean. Flutie was a baller. Yeah, it was right. just that. But they're the same size. If you look up, Flutie was listed 5'9", 185. Bryce Young is going to be 5'9", 190. That's very similar, very similar size, 5'10", on a good day. Um, but that's what, what he is. And if some teams, there's half the teams aren't even going to have him on, his board, on their board because it was just the size. It, yep. it just is what it is. Um, but yeah, that, that's just the Bryce Young talk. Stroud, I really, Stroud is my... Bryce Young would be my QB one if we're not considering size, but I do consider size, so I have to just I have to val- validate that. Um, Stroud is my QB one. A- Anthony Richardson at this point in time is my QB two, just because of the home run swing. Um, uh, and then I would have Young three, even with the size after that, because I just think Richardson the the upside of Richardson is you it, it, it's the it's a true difference maker at quarterback, which is the hardest thing to find in the NFL. Yeah. Um, Gino is a very good player this year. His upside is even higher than Gino's. And I know that's potential, the big P word for all these guys, but they're in a situation where they could take that home run swing. And you know, Pete's not going anywhere. <laughs> so seriously, it, that's another that's another feather in that cap or that line of thinking. Uh, do I think they do it? No, but it, it, I don't think they need to do it because I think Gino's awesome too. But that would be interesting, and I understand if they do think the think the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's Seattle hasn't had a lot of chances to be an interesting team in the draft in the last 10 years. And these last two years they have, and it's really, really fun. You know, obviously it's, it's a good thing for picking the late twenties. It is. It it was a good thing. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Absolutely. It's just, you know, every year there aren't 32 first round talents. And so you're, you're ending up given. That's why I think Seattle is traded out of the back of the first so often is 
you know, you're given that extra guaranteed year, you're giving a first round contract to a player who is maybe not a first round talent. And yeah. so it's just, it's just nice. Seattle's got one each this year, which is really, really fun. They got five picks in the top 84. This is, this is great. I, I know things are coming up Seattle. The, the, <laughs> uh, but that's how you're exactly right. There's usually 10 to 15 real first round talents, like true, true, um, guys that you can consider as a first round talent. And then usually picks 20 to 50, I the pretty flat most years. Yeah. And that's, that's really what it is. It's getting top 10, top 12 picks, lottery picks. And then after that, it's like, all right, just get as many as possible. So that makes sense. And that's why their second first rounder could be interesting too. That's the one I would right on, like, right on the cusp this year at number 20. Yeah. Yeah. And if they like a guy good, go get him. But I think that's one they push back and get even more picks, especially push them next year. Just keep, keep accumulating these picks. I mean, they're in a great position right now. They really are as a team, as a, as a, just a team building standpoint, they have a lot of, a lot of cool paths they can go down. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Listen, Nate, this has been awesome, man. It's great to talk ball with you outside of our dynasty league trade yes. discussions via text. So yes. thank you for making the time to join us. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. This is, this is outstanding. Hopefully this one doesn't get lost. Like the first time I oh mess, when I messed it up, that was totally my fault. So I, I, uh, hopefully this one's a little better. I keep improving each time. <laughs> no, you're amazing, man. Listen, no, before thanks, you guys. get out of here, remind the people where they can get more of you. Uh, they can find me at the athletic for my writings. I think the next thing I'm writing is the most improved team article, uh, which I have shoehorning in there somewhere in between free agency. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Nate underscore Tice. You'll see plenty of tweets. I just broke down a lot of the Super Bowl games, a lot of clips there. And uh, yeah, uh, the athletic football show with Robert Mays. Uh, usually hear me on Sundays and Thursdays. You'll hear me about once or twice a week in the off season. So we'll do some free agency shows coming up right now. We're doing a lot of lessons lessons of this and lessons of that which is are can be a lot of fun to do so yeah. you hear yeah. me all those places you guys i mean that's an awesome show i, I love listening to you guys it makes me a smarter fan as for us you can find mike and i on social media as well i am on twitter at, at jackson bevins that's j-a-c-s-o-n mike is on twitter at mike barwin and the show itself is at cigar thoughts you can also find us on instagram at cigar thoughts nfl and on facebook at seahawk cigar thoughts of course you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple podcasts and like the show, drop us a five-star rating, leave a quick review. You've already got 200 five-star ratings between the two platforms. That is not something Mike and I take for granted. Thank you to all of y'all listening for your continued support of the show. You know, you've only got so much time for audiobooks, music, and podcasts, and it's an honor to be a part of that for y'all. Please know that by sharing this show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. Oh, oh, oh.